A note to the listeners, episode 94 contains explicit language and mature themes. Word nerd. Wordsmith. Wordy. Wordless. Oxford Dictionary says a word is a single, distinct, meaningful element of speech or writing, used with others or sometimes alone. We say each one matters. No extra words is literature, minimalist style. And we're getting you right to the story. Laundromat by Paul Russo. I hate doing laundry. To me, it's wasted time, especially in the monotonous confines of a laundromat. And the people there, they have such loneliness and despair. I can feel their inequities, their hardships, their inadequacies. But their futures, dingy and depressing as they are, rest in my hands. Him. I'm the only one that does laundry at 11 at night. What are you doing here? Me. Well, I realized all my clothes were dirty. Filthy, in fact. So, well, here I am. Him. You must be a rich boy. Only rich boys use the word filthy. Me. Well, I'm not rich. You think I'd be in a laundromat at 11 at night if I was rich? Him. Okay, I'll give you that much, dude, but I bet you were rich at one time. Me. I was. I was a psychic, a fortune teller, raking in the cash. Him. You were what? Me. A fortune teller. Hey, let me tell your future. I can do it by looking at cards. Him. You can't tell no future by looking at cards. Me. No, not regular playing cards, but tarot cards. I can tell the future by looking at tarot cards. Him. No wonder your eyes are brown. You're so full of shit. I should call the cop sitting down the road and tell him to send you to the loony bin. You're fucking nuts. Me. There's a cop down the road? Him. Every night, dude. But he'll be leaving soon. Donut time. Me, that's funny. Him. Ain't nothing funny about it. He goes for donuts, for real. Me. Hey, come on. Let me read your future. Him. No fucking way. Me. You afraid? Him. I ain't afraid of you. Me. You afraid of what the cards will say? Him. Didn't you just hear me? I ain't afraid. I just don't believe in that garbage. Me. Come on. Let me tell you your future. Him. Dude, I told you. Me. I'll give you ten dollars. Him. Man, you are crazy. Okay, deal. But let me see the ten. Me. Here it is. I'll put it right here on the folding table. Me. Now let's see what we got. Hmm. See that card there? The one with the snakes? Him. Yeah, so what? Me. Man, I'm sorry. It says you're gonna die. Him. Dude, we're all gonna die. Now give me my ten dollars. Me. No, it says you're gonna die today. Him. You crazy motherfucker, just give me my ten dollars. The click was barely perceptible, but the barrel formed a sound that echoed off the tiled floor. The casing fell to the ground and bounced twice, the metal clinking as it rolled between two washing machines. The spin cycle ended with a loud thud. I opened the lid, gathered his clothes, and left.
Beyond by Francis D. Clemente My name's John O'Brien, or at least that's who I used to be before I froze to death in the alley behind Mother's Diner in East Rome, New York. An Arctic air mass came sweeping down into the Mohawk Valley from Canada one February night last year. I had propped myself up against the brick wall, trying my best to shield my face from the wind, but it was futile, and I never woke up in the morning. Mildred found me while out having a smoke after the breakfast rush. She called the cops, but not before rifling through my knapsack and pocketing the gold crucifix my mother gave me in 1969. Mom had it blessed by the Pope, and it was the only possession that meant anything to me. I'm kind of glad someone ended up with it, even if Mildred swiped it from me post-mortem. The Oneida County Coroner ruled hypothermia as the cause of death, and the police labeled me a John Doe since I had no ID on me or next of kin. They buried me in an unmarked grave in a back corner of Rome Cemetery, and that's where I currently reside. I don't mind so much, though. The leaves on the maple trees overlooking my plot are bursting into flaming orange, brown, and burgundy colors now, and I get to watch the squirrels scurrying about in the fading afternoon light. The cross-country team runs up here sometimes, and I can even hear the public address speaker at the Rome Free Academy football stadium on Friday nights when the Black Knights play at home. Last Saturday, I even saw a group of teenagers hurling acorns at one another and ducking behind the headstones for protection. Their shouts and yelps echoed through the cemetery, and my only regret was that I couldn't join in the fun. I can't wait for winter, when they have snowball fights and go sledding on a steep hill behind the cemetery. The funny part is I don't feel much different than when I was alive. Had I known this earlier, I might have given up a long time ago. You see, I heard the temperature on the eve of my death was dropping. Old Petey Bones Raganese warned me to find some place to flop when I ran into him during lunch at the Rome rescue mission. So yeah, I realized what would happen to me if I stayed outside. And I could have easily made it to the county shelter where I would have gotten a hot meal and a cot with a blanket. But damn, my legs were heavy and numb, and I didn't feel like moving an inch, let alone walking six blocks to the shelter. And I figured with my luck, it would only be colder the next day. So I just cradled the bottle of whiskey, closed my eyes, and awaited the inevitable. Now I spend my days trying to occupy my mind and fill the empty hours. I haven't been given any sort of notice on what my final destination might be, so I'm just trying to live in the moment, or should I say go on being dead in the moment? I can't complain, though. It's really not that bad on this side, and at least I'm no longer cold. Still, I I do wish someone anyone, maybe even God Almighty or one of his messengers, would tell me what to do or where I'm supposed to go. I no longer have a body, but my brain still works. I am able to formulate thoughts, and I spend most of my days contemplating my situation. And all this thinking makes me wonder, is this all there is? Isn't there anything else? Is this heaven or hell, something in between, or just a continuation of what was considered the present? Enough already, a voice yells from some distance away. You're not the only one here, dipshit. You're disturbing our sleep. Excuse me, I say. Or rather, I think, and the words are somehow communicated to the stranger. Who are you? Where are you? It matters little. We are all dirt now. Don't expect answers. Don't expect anything. Just rest. I don't get it. If nothing matters, then why can I still think? My mind is active. I may not be alive, but I am not fully gone. That's it. I'm done trying to talk sense to this fucking wino. Annette, get this guy to shut up already. Just because I'm your wife, Fred, doesn't mean you can tell me what to do. You're not the boss anymore, and what am I supposed to say anyway? He doesn't understand yet. Look, I'm sorry, I say, 
I didn't mean to upset anyone. I just want some answers. Aren't I entitled to some answers? What's your name, friend? Another voice asks. John? Well, I am James, and I will do my best to give you some semblance of an explanation, but it may not help you. I have been here since 1856, and I am still waiting for my fate to be decided. No one has told me anything, but I pray each day the Lord will come again, so I may rise with him. Do you believe in Jesus, John? I guess so, sort of. He is the only way. Jesus Christ, the voice known as Fred says, it's too fucking late for conversion. It's never too late, James says. I repeat, John, it's never too late. I am sorry for bothering all of you. I don't know if it's physically possible, but I am getting a headache now. I want to try to go back to sleep. Now you're talking some sense, dipshit. Go to sleep, John. It's too late for anything else. I suppose it is. I guess we just die and enter the void. I never wanted to believe that, but it seems it is true. You got it, brother, Fred says. Now I wish I would have done something more with my life while I still had the chance. That is something we all wish for, John, James says. Blackness takes over the cemetery once again, and I drift off. I am not fighting sleep now. I'm not fighting anything. I submit to the slumber of death with the recognition that nothing else exists. Hello there! Welcome to No Extra Words, the Flash Fiction Podcast. My name is Chris Baker-Dirsch. I'm your producer and editor. The stories today are unsettling. And not just because they all deal with this kind of endings, death, in one way or another, but because they all leave so much unanswered, which is part of what I love about flash fiction. There's not enough space in a story this short to explain everything to you, and so you have to be left to fill in some of the gaps yourself. You know, you're left at the end of that scene in Laundromat where you don't know why, and you don't know what happens next, but you, all you have is this moment that ends so brutally, and then you're left to just puzzle it over. And I feel that way about Beyond as well. Um, it leaves so many questions. The idea that there is nothing after this is certainly not a new one, and it's a totally valid one, since none of us have been there, so we have no earthly idea. But... You, there's an unanswered question that's at the heart of that story, which is where John is saying, if this is all there is, then why is my brain still working? You know, if I am left to just be worm food in the cemetery, then what's the point of me being conscious about it? To me, that's the most creepy thing about that story is not so much there's a void, but that you're aware of it. It's very, very unsettling. Um, and in both of these stories, and to a certain degree in the last story that you're going to hear at the end of the episode, I was really on the fence about whether or not I wanted to bring them to you because they just left me feeling uneasy. But I think that uneasiness is so important when we deal with these kind of big moments in life that a lot of things we don't know and a lot of things we're never going to know. I was listening to a podcast with a woman who was talking about TV, of all things. And she said she loves, like, all of the gory crime dramas. You know, everything from Law & Order SVU to, like, true crime, all of that stuff. But she can't handle anything where 
it doesn't get solved at the end. She could never do like unsolved mysteries or any of that. She's like, I feel like if that's not like laid out up front, that this is not going to have an ending, then I feel cheated at the end because I won't, if it's, if I know that it's not going to be solved, then I won't pay attention. And I totally get that for TV, but most of life is like that. Most of life leaves you not knowing the full story, the full picture, the full details, the full anything. And apparently death does too according to the fiction writers that we have on today. So, title this episode, Too Late? I don't know. I don't think any of us do. Like, at what moment is anything too late? And what happens next? It is true what they always say. The only thing we know for sure about this life is that no one gets out of it alive. We are going to close with a very beautiful story that I feel so, so lucky to be bringing to you. Um, we had the calendar locked down for 2017 for a while, and we're not adding anything to it. And then we had an opening pop up unexpectedly, and the day the opening popped up, I got to read this beautiful story by A. Elizabeth Herding, um, which celebrates the moments of life seen through the lens of endings, which is all I will say about it. It also leaves more questions than it answers, but in a very different way. And I love the fact that she kind of resolved this episode. It's funny how we had this this open slot. And the story that would have fit in it was also a really interesting one and would have tied in nicely with this theme. But I think hers fits even better. It's a a more settling version of this kind of unsettledness. So that is coming at the end of this episode. Before we get to that, and really before we get to anything, I want to apologize. My poor husband is in the next room, and he has the worst cough, and I keep trying to, like, cut out the sound of him coughing. Usually I can't hear him at all through the walls down here, but he, poor thing, it is that time of year, right, with the crud. So please know that I don't have a prisoner in my particular laundry room today. That's just the sound of someone coughing. Before we get to the end of the episode, I do want to do part three in our NaNoWriMo series. So if you do not want to go back behind the scenes of Chris's writing journey and National Novel Writing Month, now would be the time to fast forward. You want to skip about the next 15 minutes um, to take you straight to the last story of the episode. But I hope you will stick around and hear our NaNoWriMo segment. I've been talking a little bit about my journey of headed towards this year's National Novel Writing Month, and I've talked in the last two episodes about kind of what that is and why it's important to me and what my plan is going into it. Um, This episode is coming out in November. So if you are writing, you are well in the thick of it now. You are into the second week where things, I think, really start to feel like they're falling apart is my experience. Um, That's the point where you realize how really hard it is to keep up with this pace and, and... you know, it starts to feel like NaNoWriMo ate your soul. If that's where you are, pull up a chair. You're among friends. Remember, this is the writer's marathon. This is not for the faint of heart. You're okay. Don't stop. It's easy to stop. Um, remember, even if you don't win, quote unquote, get your 50,000 words, every bit of your story that you're telling right now is important and valuable and words you wouldn't be writing if you weren't doing this challenge. If you're not writing yet, What's stopping you? November's only just begun. Start writing. Join us. It's madness. You'll love it. I'm actually recording this beforehand because I want to spend my November writing and not doing this. 
So I am still in prep mode. But I want to talk a little bit today about the technology or lack thereof that I'm choosing to write with this year. I prepared for my NaNoWriMo this year by buying a pack of multicolored legal pads, several of my favorite pencils, and a few varieties of pen. I am endeavoring not just to write 50,000 words in the month of November, but to do it by hand. Why? Because I don't do very well writing on screens. And this is something I think I've known about myself for a long, long time, that typing into a computer for me personally is the antithesis of creativity. It's where creativity goes to die. It isn't that I can't do it. It isn't that I don't do it. It isn't that I never do it. It's that it is not my preferred way to make words happen. It's stressful. There's a reason we're all supposed to cut back on our screen time, right? And when you open up a blank document, it is white. Like it is glowing lit white. It is very intimidating. I am someone for whom writing will always kind of be at its core, the act of scribbling in notebooks. And that's something, if I'm going to spend a good chunk of my time in November writing words, I don't want to do it staring at a screen. There are some super distinct advantages to writing by hand. First of all, it can go anywhere. I don't have to worry if I have power. I don't have to worry if I have an outlet. I don't have to worry if I have Wi-Fi. I don't have to worry about any of those things. My notebook fits in my purse with a pen, and it can go from the church library outside my son's preschool room to inside to outside. I'm doing a couple of write-ins this year involving public transportation. My notebook can go on the bus. It can go on the train. It can go on the ferry. It's never going to run out of batteries. It can also go into the kitchen when I'm making dinner. It can go onto the couch and it for some reason does not catch the toddler's attention in terms of Mama, why are you not focusing on me? Why are you focusing on the thing with the bright light? It's a little easier to distract him, especially since we can do Mama coloring and James coloring. Um, it has a lot of advantages. There's also something nostalgic to me about writing on colored legal pads. I got a huge stack of colored legal pads from an aunt of mine for a Christmas gift when I think I was like nine or 10. It was right around the time my family really started encouraging this writing habit. And so writing on colored legal pads is very, it makes me feel like a writer in a way a lot of things don't. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm not, if I end up getting the laptop and doing some words on it over the course of this NaNoWriMo, that's awesome. I don't expect to, but I'm certainly not going to give the laptop away. I mean, that's where I'll be popping in and recording my word counts and all of that kind of stuff. So if I feel the need to open a document and just bash at it for a while, that's always an option. I have also spoken in the past about my extreme love for typewriters. Typewriters help me push through writing writer's block like nothing else. And so if I'm stuck, you can bet that I'm going to pull out my little Olivetti or one of my other probably portables. Um, even though they're portable, they're heavy. So they don't transport as well on the bus, on the ferry, etc. Um, but I do have portables. I love, love, love typewriters. One thing that I would say that I've heard as a caution for us typewriter users out there is to make sure 
You're not necessarily always stuck needing this kind of crutch in order to write. Um, make sure that whatever technology you're picking allows you a little bit of freedom. So that's one of the reasons I I have done NaNoWriMo on typewriter. It's been awesome. I really enjoyed it in the past. Um, but this year I'm even shedding that particular technology and I'm really going old school pen and paper. A couple of logistics about writing by hand for those of you who are thinking about it or thinking about it for part of your NaNoWriMo. A lot of us out there are pen and paper and computer hybrids. Um, one, everybody stresses about word counts. First of all, remember, NaNoWriMo word counts are a goal. Nobody's checking. Um, estimates are fine. People estimated word counts long before there were ever word processors. And word processors are estimating them too, by the way. That's why they're never exactly the same. So just write a couple of pages, count how many words are on each of those pages, take an average, and that's your word count if you're writing by hand. Backup. It is important to maintain a backup of writing by hand. um, You can lose things in other ways besides computer crashes. This is something I'm really, really bad at, and I'm going to try to be better at this year, is backing up handwritten work as I go along. I have a little scanner app on my phone, so I can just snap pictures and turn them into PDFs so that those are all backed up. So whatever you're doing, don't forget to do a backup. In terms of saving one's hand, um, best advice that I can give is that I've heard given to me is write with your arm and not with your wrist. Um, Hand fatigue and hand cramps are going to happen if you're trying to make letters with your wrist. Make sure your whole arm is moving as you're writing across the paper. Um, Change tools go from pen to pencil to different kinds of pens, different sizes of pen. Um, And don't write too small. When I find my hand cramping up, it's because I'm writing too small and trying to fit too many words in one line. So remember, NaNoWriMo has been around a long time. It dates back to, I think, 2000, when not nearly as many people had laptops. You are not the first person in the history of the world to bring a notebook to a write-in. It's not not happening. I want to address something that I keep running into that I find really annoying. Um, because it is NaNoWriMo prep season as I'm recording this. It's NaNoWriMo writing season as you're hearing this. And so... Out in the NaNoWriMo forums, out in different writers' forums on the internet, people are talking about preparing for this journey. This is the marathon of writing. This is the writer's big marathon. This is the Boston Marathon of writing. It's the best known kind of speed event for writers that there is. And I will hear people ask, anybody doing this by hand? This is why I'm doing this by hand. Or, you know, I feel like this year I'm going to use a typewriter or a fountain pen. And there's always one guy. Okay, sometimes it's women, but, you know, there's always the one person who says, snarkily, why would anybody do that? I'll just write my novel in smoke signals. If you're doing that, just get a journal. Like, what's the point? If you're not trying to turn out words, blah, 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 blah. I don't know what is wrong with people. Like, honestly, who made you the god of writing? And I... I would never say to any of you all, you have to write by pen and paper. I'm writing by pen and paper. If you're not writing by pen and paper, then you're not real or you're not creative or you're not, dude, I don't care how you write. Write on a portable keyboard into your iPad. Write in your child's coloring book. I really don't care how you write. Why do you care how I write? I told you, and I'm talking to snarky commenter here, not you guys, but you know, I say I'm doing this because I don't feel creative when I do it in other ways. So I do it this way. You do it your way. Most people are probably going to do NaNoWriMo on their laptop. 
Nothing in the world wrong with that. That's why God invented laptops. There's a ton of writing programs out there. Some people swear by Scrivener. Some people need just a text editor. Some people, I don't even know. I like paper. That's how I roll. I also hear a lot that it's a waste of time because you're just going to have to transcribe it. And I, for one, find the act of taking my handwritten drafts and typing them to be an excellent way of doing a second draft because it cleans everything up just right there. What I'll do is I will do a kind of a reread of everything that I've written. And that's at the point where I can do all of those lovely structural edits, because I can't tell you the number of times I have written something. I'd be like, oh, yeah, I don't need chapter one. Like, I can just cut chapter one. That was just something my brain needed to do to get to where the actual story starts. Um, Oh, yeah, chapter 13 is really supposed to be chapter 16. It goes there. So reading it and going over all of that and getting some of those big structural pieces really helps me in preparing for a second draft and then typing it becomes a second draft. Um, I'm really, really surprised when I hear people don't rewrite. I, it, it shocks me. I think we use the term editing quite liberally, but I worry sometimes that some people think that editing a first draft is just a copy edit. Most first drafts need a, a structural edit. Most first drafts need significant cutting, changing of language, of structure, of everything. Um, And I find the act of getting handwritten drafts into the computer to be a great way of doing that. If I'm not doing that, if I am doing a second draft of something I started with on the computer, I actually will print it right all over it and then open a new document and retype it. Because I find doing second drafts in that same document, because there's so much changing happening, just doesn't work. And then I have a pristine copy of my first draft. So if I've screwed something up, you know, you, you writers out there are nodding your heads because you're thinking, oh, yeah, I know that feeling where I fixed something and in doing so made it worse. <laughs> if I've got the first draft right there, then I can just slot that stuff right back in. Um, I heard a great line from a writer on a podcast today. She said, Books are not born in first drafts. Books are born in rewrites and edits. And amen is that for sure true. So I don't think that for me personally, I'm sure there are people out there who work differently. But for me personally, the act of retyping is not just a transcription act. It's a it's an editing act. And so if I do my first draft on the computer, it's going to take me every bit as much time. That said, the first draft comes out slower when you handwrite it, obviously. Um, and NaNoWriMo is a speed event. So do be aware of that. It is going to take you longer. That said, I get time back. I can't believe I took this long to mention to me the very best thing about not being on the computer when I write. It is very, I won't say distraction-free. Nothing is ever distraction-free. Believe me, writers are really, 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 really good at creating distractions when there's writing to be done. And that is just as easy to do in your notebook as anywhere else. But having said that, I don't have Facebook right there. I don't have Wikipedia where I can quote unquote do research right in front of me. You know, I don't have fonts to play with or whether or not I want to do the justification or a bullet list. You know, certainly I can play with that kind of stuff in my notebook, but it's a lot less of a black hole to those kinds of things. So yes, the actual writing process is slower, but my focus and my ability to just drill down and get stuff done is greatly increased for me in the act of writing by hand. I know someone who 
So she just turns her Wi-Fi off, which I think is also an option. I think I would just turn that bad boy right back on again. But again, that's a way of dealing with some of that kind of stuff. And for the love of God, turn your phone off, please. If you're expecting an emergency call, then put it to only only ring when that particular person calls. But don't turn your phone on, people. Take your Instagram photo of where you're writing today and then turn that bad boy off. In terms of how I'm going to keep in touch with you guys... I do not expect to be doing a lot of blogging or anything else in November. So website's going to be pretty quiet. Um, the You will get a new podcast episode it's due out the Friday after Thanksgiving. It's going to be a rerun. I'm bringing you something fun from the archives with all new commentary. So that'll be a good time. Um, but other than that, we're going to be pretty quiet because I'm going to be in writing mode. So to stay in touch, I really hope you will come play with me on social media. My plan for November is to do 30 days of NaNoWriMo on Instagram because I do have some really, really cool and fun places that I'm planning on writing. So I'm planning on doing kind of a photo journey of where I'm writing today on Instagram. I can tell you at least one of the places the Seattle Rimos are taking the train. We're going to get on Amtrak and we're going to take the train from Seattle to Portland and back. So we get to ride on the train. It's about a four hour train ride from Seattle to Portland. And then it says four hours each way. And then we get about, I think, six hours or something in Portland um, to play around in the world's best bookstores in Portland. And and so to get to do all that. Um, So that'll be a fun thing. And I will try to do an Instagram story and some pictures of that. That may actually will have already happened (laughs) by the time you... um, you get this episode out, but that's happening. I'm hosting a write-in for my region on a ferry. So we're going to write across Puget Sound and back. Um, So I do, I have some cool and fun writing destinations planned. I'm going to find a new comic book shop and I'm going to try out a new coffee shop. And um, I'm really more than anything this year for my NaNoWriMo, I'm going to try to get out of my house a little bit um, because I, one of the things that I have learned about myself. And part of it I learned by doing the writing spaces segment on this show was I write better not in my home. Um, I do a lot of writing at home, but I do better and I'm more productive if I'm not in my house. I think it's a motherhood thing. It might be just a phase of life thing. So look for me on social media. That's where I'm pretty much going to be in November. um, Because I am really focusing on, on getting that done and you will hear from me a bit in December. We're going to do some more reruns. I'm not sure right now when I'm going to record those. So you may hear a little bit of NaNoWriMo in them, or you may not. But wherever you're getting this, whatever podcatcher you're subscribed to in, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Google Play Music or wherever you are, subscribe so that you can make sure you get all those new episodes. And I am at No Extra Words everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, um, we're facebook.com slash No Extra Words. And those are the places where I'll be documenting my NaNoWriMo journey, as well as um, you can always be my buddy on the NaNoWriMo.org website. So coming up next, A. Elizabeth Herding kind of settles the unsettledness of today's episode with her short story, He Died, which I'm so grateful to bring to you. And I'll be seeing you around on No Extra Words, the Flash Fiction Podcast. Keep listening, keep reading, keep writing, and you guys do take care of yourselves until I catch up with you again. He died by A. Elizabeth Herting.
He died on a Friday. The July heat was already pouring in through the weathered old screen as he perished quietly in his slumber. He'd always insisted upon the open window, even on the very coldest of nights. His wife would wrap herself in layers and layers of electric blankets in those days when they still shared the same room, time and circumstances causing them to slowly drift apart in their sleep. Thirty-nine years as husband and wife. Decades of laughter and illness, heartbreak and euphoria gone in the span of a single heartbeat. She would never know what did him in, only that he slept. She found him there in the first blush of morning, leaving the room before turning back and placing her hand gently on the bedroom door. The new day opened up all around her, petals on a withered flower, and she realized they would never see their fortieth year together. He died on a Tuesday, in the sweltering heat of the jungle, the bullets whizzing over his head as he crawled ass-deep through the rice paddy's muck and shit. He was just short of his nineteenth year, one of Uncle Sam's misguided children traveling the world where the faint of heart would never dare go. The explosions went off in a constant barrage, pieces of his brethren raining down all around him as he kept on going, his weapons slung over his back. He was proud and young. He was invincible. He was the favorite of the gods and therefore destined for greatness as the shrapnel from an errant grenade took him down. He was his country's greatest treasure and the source of its deepest shame. Dirty masses unleashing their spittle and scorn upon him from lofty towers, his purple heart forged in blood and brotherhood and unrequited valor. He died on a Monday, at the very moment that he saw her, Across the smoke-filled cocktail lounge, her long, dark hair piled high atop her head, and asked her to dance. Other men lingered like moths to a flame as he sauntered over, picked up an erstwhile bow, chair and all, and physically moved him out of his way. Her eyes were emerald green with just a hint of blue, fathomless and pure. He felt his past shed away like a physical pain as he looked into those eyes, the spring of his life suddenly turning into summer. He died all over again on a Thursday. As they wheeled out a tiny premature baby past him in an incubator, he placed his flask of bourbon back in his pocket as he said a silent prayer of thanks that all had gone well. He hadn't planned on a girl. It seemed impossible that this should be so, with his masculine larger-than-life presence, yet there she was. Her scrunched-up face, crying down the hall, convinced him that they had birthed some sort of an alien lizard, yet he loved her all the same, fiercely and loyalty, as was his nature. On Saturday he died as he walked her down the aisle, determined that he would walk as a man one last time, alone without oxygen or assistance of any kind. He had worked up to that goal for many months, calling upon his reserves of strength with his battered old Marine Corps handbook as a guide. On Sunday, he celebrated seeing the next generation off to their honeymoon in style, his only child launched safely into the world. On Wednesday, he died anew, as his love withered and wasted away in a sterile hospital room, her memory seeping into nothingness as the brain tumor did its gruesome work. His spirit lingered on impatiently, rumbling heaven and earth in torment as he waited for her suffering to finally come to an end. She'd only been with him for eight years, had so much life yet to live, but there she was all the same. She finally joined him, placing her hand in his as they danced into eternity. Young lovers once again twirling around and around in heavenly abandon. He died on a Friday. 
Thanks for listening to the No Extra Words podcast. For more information about today's stories and contributors, or to learn how to submit your own work, please visit us at noextrawords.wordpress.com. If you would like to support the show, please tell a few friends about us, or you can visit patreon.com slash noextrawords to pledge your financial support. See you next time.